This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 22 of the Ninja Starship. I'm your host, Jimmy McKnight, and joining me for this hour is writer, illustrator, founder of Beardo Comics, and all-around creative genius, Mr. Dan Doherty. Welcome to the show, dude. Hey, Jimmy. How can I pass up an introduction like that? How you doing? <laughs> pretty good, man. Pretty good. How was your Thanksgiving, bro? Uh, great. I think I'm still in a food coma, but, um, I'm, I'm doing good. So if, if this isn't a hallucination, um, you know, let's, let's do a podcast. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm kind of in the food coma myself, man. I, uh, we have nobody that can cook at my house, at least, you know, the full Thanksgiving meal. So I didn't, I didn't, uh, I just kind of took it on myself to go get it catered. And we brought that into the house this year and we got it done by Crank's Catering. Dude, that was the best choice I've ever made. There was no dishes to clean up. The food was fantastic. It was, I mean, it was awesome. It couldn't have worked out better. Nice. Do you, uh, you got any like traditions that you guys do every year? Cause like us, like after dinner, we usually watch Dutch. Do you guys do anything? <laughs> we, um, we go to my, my wife's uncle's house and he is an actual, uh, chef. So, oh. yeah, I, I'm married smart. Um, yes, I, you did. <laughs> I, I, I mean, sure, I love my wife. Yeah, whatever. But I really love this food. <laughs> and, uh, so really, we drive we drive up to the city uh, of Chicago. We're in the suburbs of, of Chicago and we, we go up there, a bunch of families up there. We have a good time. He makes crazy good food. Um, and then him and his wife have what's called, uh, uh, stuffing wars where they both make a stuffing. Oh, they don't tell us who made what and we have to figure out whose it is and which one's better. Oh, that's fun. It's very polarizing. Yeah. It's not, it's fun, but you're, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to make anyone sad. Right. Right. And and both, like, I think this is yours. It tasted better. And the other guy's like, fuck you. No, that was mine. <laughs> yeah. And they both do stuff like totally pandering to everybody. Like they'll throw in like a lot of bacon or sausage and like, you know, basically like trying to knock it out of the park every time. So, Oh wow. Stuffing with bacon. Oh my God. That just, that just spoke to my heart, man. So we're the winners in this, no matter what happens. Absolutely. Everyone wins. Did you, uh, did you participate in any of the black Friday madness? No, I'm, I like my head attached to my body. So, um, I stayed home. (laughs) Me too, man. Yeah, I saw some of the video that that lady who rips the box out of the girl's little girl's hand. Oh my god, I saw that too. What a piece of shit. Yeah, it's really not cool. I mean, part of me though, as a new parent, is like, I don't know, I would never take my kid to Black Friday either, just because it's it's so scary with everybody. But yeah, it was it was crazy to see that lady. And then she was acting like she was being assaulted, and I'm like, man, this isn't looking good. We're, the country's already kind of a mess right now as it is. We don't need this on top of it. Exactly. I, I, when I saw that video, I was like, oh my god, she stole it from the kid. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like yeah. you, their mentality is not. There is no human beings when they go to this thing. They turn into savages. A hundred percent savages. Yeah, it's it's absolutely nuts. And I, I stayed home. Um, it was good. I saw that. I saw the other video of the two dudes uh, slugging it out in the mall and like the security came and separated them. And then they just went their separate ways. Like nobody got arrested. They were just like, all right, you done. Go keep going. Just keep shopping. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, We don't want you to fight, but we do want you to still be in a frenzy for shopping. So Absolutely. No one's getting arrested because that's money that's going off the table. I'm surprised that it's even it's still such a big thing because with online sales being so huge, you know, I, I would I would expect that the madness would go down, but no, it seems as strong as ever. Yeah, I never understood that because I thought really that online would kind of kill the the urgency. It's like why don't you just work a little bit more at your job and you'll save money that way? Right, just stay home and work. 
I just I laugh at all the people that are in the in the tents and shit outside of Best Buy and everywhere else. It's like you're gonna sit out there and freeze your ass off. I'm gonna buy this on Amazon and go home. Like I'm all yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think some people like the 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 hunt. Like I think it's getting back to you know being kind of an animal about stuff. But yeah, I, I missed out on all that. I'm, I don't miss any of it. All, along with being uh uh. Along with being an illustrator and a writer, you're also a musician. And word around the campfire is, is you have a karaoke band. <laughs> yeah, um, the, it's a it's a karaoke super group. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> all right, it's, all right, my yeah, bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Karaoke super group. Kind of like a Voltron in the sense that when the three parts of it connect, we become one mega ultra super duper karaoke machine um and the other two parts are uh dirk manning and uh tony mielo um so oh, when we awesome. see, yeah when we see each other at conventions we we go hunting for karaoke bars and then we destroy the place i had uh i had dirk on the show last week and uh, i actually met him at grand rapids comic-con and we went out that night and did karaoke so i know the dude's all about it man yeah, he's really, he's really, uh, he's an instigator, that guy. Like he, Yes, he's, he's the one that caused us all to go to karaoke. You know <laughs> crazy? Like a group he's, of like 10 people. <laughs> he's the only guy in the group who's not drinking, and he's the one who causes, I think, the most trouble, like the most mischief. Yeah. Like, he's not going to get you into a bar fight, but he may, you know, get you locked into some sort of deal where you lose your soul. <laughs> 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 That's just who Dirk is. Yeah, he's a great guy, man. Yeah. Uh, so you, uh, I mean, you're a musician though, right? I mean, you play guitar and all that kind of stuff or what do you do? Yeah, actually, um, I am a, a musician. Um, I play guitar and I sing and I actually write a lot of songs. Um, I really, that's actually the thing I like to do the most in, in terms of music, but I have a band called on the off chance and, uh, it's a five piece band myself being one of those pieces. Um, and four of us sing. So we do a lot of harmony stuff. Uh, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really it's it's probably the strongest band I've ever been in. I've been in a lot of bands um, in my in my day. Um, so this one is really fun in the sense that we can do all this really cool stuff with with vocalization and harmony. And then everyone in the band is is a pro. I mean, we've got a, a female singer who won a, uh, a, a like kind of like a, a, a American Idol esque contest called the One, where she won like ten grand for being the best singer out of like hundreds of, of applicants. Wow. Yeah, I've got my buddy uh, Steve and Jay, who are cousins, and they uh, I've known them for forever, and they're they're kind of like um, they run their own studio, so we record at their studio, and they're both professional musicians in their own right. One of them tours with an Elvis tribute band, and the other one has been writing and recording with people for forever. And then my buddy Tonebone plays a bass, and him and I have been bros for I don't know how long. I mean, <laughs> just. It's really nice. It's 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 such a cool thing to do. Um, we just played House of Blues last weekend. had a, had a blast. We got one more show for the year, and then next year we're gonna um, play a bunch of really cool shows, and we're gonna try to get a full album out. Actually, what uh, where are you playing at for, for your last show? Uh, a place called Chicago Street Pub. It's in Joliet. Um, so it's it's south of the city uh, in the in the town where Jake and Elwood Blues left the prison to go start off the the movie. Perfect. Uh, yeah, it's actually a really cool town for for music. Uh, they got a bunch of great venues uh, there, Chicago Street Pub being one of them. And uh, we always like playing there because the uh, the place in particular caters specifically to original music. So uh, that's what we do, and we like to bring our stuff there. And uh, we're going to actually also do some Christmas tunes as well, just to you know get people in the spirit of things. What kind of guitar do you play? Are you like a Stratocaster guy, a Les Paul guy? Um, I've, I've played a bunch. Um, I've bought and sold guitars throughout my whole life. I used to work for a music store actually, but right now I'm playing a Telecaster. Um, and I have a, a Strat as my backup, but the Tele seems to be good for the sound that we're going for. It's got a nice, like kind of clean, uh, lean, I should say lean distortion to it. So yeah, it um, does. It does. Yeah. It, it works really well because we have more of a, like a, a polished sound in this band than and my my old bands we were a lot more loud and in your face and this one's a lot more um about finesse so the telly works really well for that yeah i found that telecasters are great for blues style stuff man they just have that perfect sound and if you wanted to get that 
high, you know, high end distortion sound. You know, the the, the Strat and the uh, Telecaster are the best, man. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been a Fender guy for most of my time. I mean, I had a Les Paul for a while. I loved it, but it wouldn't suit this band at all. It, it just right. way too much uh, coming out of the pickups for yeah. me to say like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bust out this this Les Paul for this really subtle number. <laughs> right. I'm a total yeah. Les Paul guy, man. I think they're just like the Harley Davidson of guitars. They're so badass and versatile, and they and they fit me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the guitar oh, yeah. has to fit you. You know, as the player. Exactly. Yeah. And I, if it was my old band, absolutely. And this band, it just doesn't, it, you know, what it, you know, what it is like you got to have a guitar for the occasion. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So you play, you got a Les Paul? Uh, I don't anymore. The one, well, I do, but I, the one that I have, I don't let anybody play or I don't even play. It just sits there. It's made out of uh, Hawaiian Kapala wood. And it was a, a very, you know, limited run that they made. But the one I had that I just sold was a, uh, a cherry sunburst Epiphone Les Paul. Nice. And uh, I I love that guitar, man. I beat the hell out of it. But um, yeah, it's good when you got one that you can you can just kind of knock around, but still is totally reliable. Absolutely. So yeah. let me ask you this, musician to musician, who would you say is your biggest influence in guitar playing? Man, I don't know. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm 35, and I feel like I've gone through phases that stretch all the way back. Um, lately. I actually think it's been David Gilmore from from Pink Floyd because he's he's actually really kind of slow and melodic yes. and it's it suits what we're doing right now. In fact, when I'm in when I'm in um, recording because we're recording this album right now, uh, we've been talking about like, hey, what sound are we going for? Like what's you know, for particular parts? And I'm like, I really can't describe what I'm looking for. I'm just thinking, like, what would David Gilmore do? <laughs> you know, and. And I never used to say that. Like, I've always liked Pink Floyd, but I, I, I think only recently have I really latched on to him as like a guy that I'm like, you know, what would he do? You know, how would he approach this part of the song? Uh, because I, I think melding with the kind of people I've been playing with has made me rethink some stuff. It used to be a lot heavier for me. Um, and it used to even be a lot grungier when I was in high school because I, I grew up during the 90s when like Nirvana and all that was king. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it goes in phases, you know, it's like, you always have something that inspires you and then it kind of passes and then you find something new. Yeah, that's very true. But I still think that the solo and comfortably numb is arguably one of the greatest solos ever recorded. Yeah. It's just so it's, it's just powerful. It's and so it's not full, even, man. It grabs yeah. you. I was playing this show recently. This guy was shredding and he was just super fast and super, he was really talented. This guy. And I was so bored. I didn't, I was not, I, I wanted to like it, but I was, it was just like watching somebody work out. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I want, and then another guy came it on. It looks so he, stressful. <laughs> yeah, it really was like, he was like, I mean, I get sweaty myself, but this dude was like pouring sweat and he was just like, I mean, he was fierce as, as all get out, but I just wasn't feeling it. And I'm like, man, I want something like, I want something that's going to reach inside of my chest and rip my heart out. And Absolutely. Like, somebody else did that later on the night. I was like, that's what I want. That guy, that guy right there. Did you ever break a string during a show or recording? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely during a show. I, I, I've had some unfortunate string snaps um, and I don't play very hard either. So they were, they almost felt like it was like, you know, the guitar gods were laughing at me. Right. Um, I had one, we did this, uh, my one of my first bands we we, we went to uh, Milwaukee and we played uh the uh what is it the Eagle Ballroom it's it's from the rave you know like you, there's a side stage and you basically it was a pay to play we were young and this was this meant everything it was like the first road trip I'd taken to play music and um super nervous and I was kind of organizing the whole thing and I get up there and I maybe played like a song and a half and a, and my string just snapped um and I was like, oh, come on. And luckily I had my other guitar, but by the time I, I um, switched out and got the other guitar set up and everything, I'd lost like almost a song's worth of time. Which uh. was, yeah, it was such a bummer. But um, I've had that happen a few times, but not too much because, like I said, I'm not like shredding. So Right. I had that happen to me one time. Uh, I, I used to be in a band a couple years ago, and we were playing a show at this place called the Static Age in Romeo. You know, it was real like heavy hardcore type venue, and you know we were very heavy metal. And uh, we were right in the middle of a song, man. Heavy chug breakdown, and 
boom, I break a string. I'm like, oh my God, no. I mean, luckily I was able to keep the chug with the top string, (laughs) but right as soon as that song was done, man, I'm like, shoot, 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 like going as fast as I can, trying to change out a string. Everyone's looking at me and I got everybody sitting there, you know, in my band going, come on, come on. We're losing, you know, I'm like, oh God, this was a total nightmare. Yeah. From that moment on, I'm like new strings, every show. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I always, I I always try to keep my strings. Like I'll give them like a couple months and like maybe two months tops and I'll, I'll change them. But I always bring a second guitar now because I, you know, I just am paranoid and I rarely have ever had to use it, but I I like having it just in case. Hell yeah. Just like the pros. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on a break. When we return, it's all about Dan's new Kickstarter for touching evil. Here's local Michiganders, I see stars with Murder Mitten. You're listening to the Ninja Starship Podcast on Podcast Detroit. A corn-fed harvest mouse, a hooker, a nun, a Flemish peasant woman, whips chains, whistles yo-yos, a circus midget, my grandmother riding by on a bicycle, give me the finger, and a duck. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Yeah. 
And we're back. For those just joining us, we're talking to writer and illustrator Dan Doherty about his new Kickstarter to turn this award-winning comic, Touching Evil, into a hardcover graphic novel. So let's get into this for those that aren't familiar with Touching Evil. Like, where did the concept for this story come from? Um, I think it came from my brain being warped as a child by uh, countless episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, I really feel like there's something about the sensibilities of that show that um, it kind of translates into this comic because it's um, it's a, it's a comic that blends um, a lot of different things like, like kind of everyday life with the supernatural curse and then some social commentary, some, Ah! (laughs) some babies. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, some, what I hope is, is um, you know, uh, good storytelling and, and well-crafted uh, interweaving plots. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially the idea I've been sitting on it for a long time now. So I've had a, a chance to like, let it really germinate and, and, and grow before I, I put it out there in the world. Uh, I think I came up with it somewhere on like 2006 and um, I've just been kind of putting it off because I was been working on other projects Um other people's projects, mine, whatever. Uh, but I, I really felt compelled to tell this. So uh, I started making the single issues about two years ago. So let's get into a little bit more about what it's about. So from what I understand is there's this girl who can kill you just by touch. But as long as you're evil. Yeah, only if you're evil. So she's this. Um, she's just this ordinary, every, everyday person she's um, a single mom she's a criminal lawyer which only makes matters worse when she gets this curse right um because what happens is she in the first issue we find out you know she's uh she's got a client she has to go meet as per her boss's request and the client um she all she she has to do is just tell the client a little bit of information but when she shows up there um the the client gives her this curse because he is just tired of carrying it. He's, he's had it for, um, I believe like 70 something years at that point. And he just like, this is something that can be transferred. Yeah. It's something. Oh, sweet. Yeah. It's really, it's, it makes it way more interesting because she could give it up. So, um, he gives her this curse. And while you have the curse, you cannot die because the curse cannot die either. So it has to, it has to stay with the, the bearer of it. And she comes to realize that what he says about the curse is true, that she can kill anyone she touches if they're evil. And she, of course, does not realize this until it starts working. So um, she ends up killing some people inadvertently. And from there, everything just kind of spirals until she's become a reluctant hero on the run from people who want to take the curse from her. Well, let's talk about the first kill. How does that happen? I mean, does does she trip and, and grab somebody on the shoulder, like, excuse me, and then they just croak? Or I mean, <laughs> what, what happens? No, the first kill is actually one of my favorite ones because it's um, a client that she just um, got uh, uh, free. He was he basically she just went to trial with this client and he was found not guilty. Um, and then he asks her to come to come over because now his son uh, is also in some legal trouble. So she goes to this client's, um, work. They're talking for a little bit and he asks if she'd help, uh, represent his, his son. And she's like, she knows that the son did it. And she knows that her, the client had done his thing too, but she's like, you know, what? it's my job. I'm going to do it. So they go to shake on it. And as they shake hands, he dies. Oh man. Yeah. That she didn't even get paid. Nope. <laughs> doesn't get paid and then she gets in a whole world of trouble because uh, uh she's not alone when this happens her the son runs up there a bunch of his friends run up and now they got guns pointed at her and uh and then pretty soon she finds herself in the trunk of a car and doesn't know what's going on so that's oh man super suspenseful goes. yeah i mean i i definitely make a point of leaving um, every issue on on uh, something that I think is really the best cliffhangers I possibly can. And so that first issue, she's she's in a bit of a pickle. How many issues did you have of this? Um, we're up to seven now, and that's what the Kickstarter collects. Is it collects issues one through seven into a two hundred and forty page full color hardcover. When I checked earlier today, you had 140 backers and already over $7,000 raised, 
with only 18 days left on your Kickstarter, dude. So people must like really love this story and not just the story, but they must also love you and the other work to back this project like this. I mean, that's a fantastic response. Yeah, I've been incredibly lucky to have the kind of fan base that I have. Um, I really get uh, I get a lot of love from from people because uh, these are all indie comics, so they don't really have any mass distribution. And I really um, am dependent on word of mouth and fan support. So the fact that it's uh, done so well while still being essentially run by me and, and the people who are willing to share it um, really feels good. Um, it's, it's been really awesome. I'll just tell you that because every, every issue of this, uh, and I don't intend to really change this anytime soon, but every issue of this has been self-produced entirely. Wow. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, well, since we're on the subject of the Kickstarter, let's go through the pledge awards that people can get for backing your project. Because what I saw was digital copies, uh, t-shirts that were available, which is a huge bonus for me because I love getting special t-shirts. So let's uh, let's talk about the levels that, and and you know if they donate five dollars, ten dollars, what what are the, some of the uh, rewards that they get? Yeah, um, there's a whole lot of, uh, of pledge levels for all kinds of, of different um, interests. I've got at the at the base level, like you said, um, you, know, you can get a digital copy of the whole book for just ten bucks. You can get a <laughs> you can get a baby. <laughs> Ten bucks. <laughs> She's super excited about this. Um, you can you can get uh, the T-shirt at uh, at twenty. the The actual book itself comes in at the thirty dollar level, and it not only is the book, you also get a PDF, and uh, the book comes signed. Um, there's a a level. I'm trying to think of what it's at. It's like forty. Um, yeah, forty dollars gets you the the book with a limited edition Kickstarter exclusive book plate that I'll I'll sketch on. So there'll be a little, basically like a little sketch card that inserts into the book that will be an original sketch for me. Um, and then beyond that is when it starts getting really crazy. And I've already had some people scoop up some of the uh, the higher level pledges, which has been really helpful. But there's a level where you can get six books of mine, um, the, the entire Beardo series, which is one through four, my first book, Cyclone Bill and the Tall Tales, which is a massive graphic novel, and then this book for $100. Um, then there's you can get drawn into the second story arc of Touching Evil as a, a character who gets killed by the curse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that one's super fun. I've already had somebody pick one of those up, and I've got two – sorry, I've got um, – I take it back. I've got uh, two people who picked it up, and I've got three left. Um, I've got a, a, a pledge level where you can get drawn into my comic strip Beardo. Um, and then I've got the, the biggest one is you can have dinner with me, and we'll get a burrito. Yes! <laughs> and, uh, you'll get all the other swag that comes along with the, with the uh, campaign. So you'll get original art. Um, you'll get the book. You'll get all the other stuff that's below um and then you'll get we'll go out to dinner and i've got 20 plus shows coming up next year so there's plenty of opportunities for me to go around you know a good chunk of the country and potentially meet people that's a lot of burritos bro a lot of burritos i'm good with it <laughs> who did you collaborate with on this story um as far as the story uh nobody was that that part was just me um like i said earlier like i i I've been kind of letting this idea sit for a long time. So normally I think I would kind of bounce my, my content off of somebody, but I've had enough time to think about this one where I felt really good about it. Um, but as far as the art goes, I, I pencil and ink the whole series. Uh, I did have some ink help inking help from um, a friend of mine, Monica Ross, mm-hmm. but I had two colorists throughout the, the first story arc. I had uh, Wes Wong did the first four, four issues and then Canilla Tripp did the last three and then um, my friend Stephen Bryant did the covers for one through seven. How did you uh, How did you connect with these people? Uh, mostly through conventions. I I table next to Stephen Bryant quite a bit in Chicago. We always do C two E two and Wizard World next to each other. And we'd actually worked on a book previously uh, years ago, um, so we knew each other through that. That's also how I met Mike current colorist we, we had worked on another uh comic series back in the i'd say around like 2009 or 10 um 
And then Wes Wong, the first colorist, he, I've known him for a long time. He's a really great colorist and he, uh, he lives very close to me too. So I kind of travel in uh, similar uh, circles, but, um, I think that's everybody. Everyone I, everyone I work with, I tend to have met at a convention or something first. Right. Do you have any future collaborations that you're excited about coming up? I do. Um, well, there's some stuff that I can't talk about, but there is some stuff that I can. And one is I, I will be eventually working on one of um, Dirk Manning's uh, projects. I won't say which one yet. And I won't say in what capacity. Right. But um, we've got something cooking and he actually offered a stretch goal to my campaign, which I'm super excited about. If we hit this, if we hit $13,000 at the campaign, Dirk is going to write a short story um, in the touching evil world that I'm going to illustrate. So he's going to write uh, like kind of an episode of touching evil that will be exclusive only to the Kickstarter backers. We're only going to make, we're going to make a comic of it and only the people who pledged at the hardcover level and above will get that comic. Otherwise it's not going to come out any other, um, that comic isn't come out any other way. That's super smart marketing, brother. Yeah, it's you know it was he he was he's been a really good um, sounding board and and advice giver for this campaign because uh, he had that great campaign with with Tales of Mystery. Yeah. Um, and you know I was asking him for advice because I was about to launch this thing and I was like you know I've got some good stretch goals but I'd like to get one that doesn't involve just me. I've, I've already had the the Beardo Touching Evil crossover as a as another stretch goal. That's actually the top one. But Dirk was like. You know, uh, I could help out, and I, I, I think I, I think we were kind of, um, you know, dipping our toe in the water a little bit. Like, would you, uh, could I possibly? And then for, I was like, hey man, could you, could you possibly write something? What would it take? It's like I just do it, you know. So he's, um, he's great in that sense, and I, I, I sincerely, not just for the money aspect of it, but I sincerely hope that we hit that stretch goal because I, I already heard his idea for the story and I love it. So I'd love to be able to make that happen. Go ahead and plug the, the Kickstarter website that uh, everybody can go check it out. Cause we're coming up on another break right now. So while we're on break, they can check out your Kickstarter and hopefully pledge. So you can make that goal. Yes, definitely. Um, so I think the easiest way to do it, just go to kickstarter.com and just search touching evil. And I should be the only thing that pops up. Um, you can also search my name, Dan Doherty, D O U G H E R T Y. But uh, either way, I think you'll get the results and you'll see the, the campaign is going strong. Support your local indie comics. Check out that website. When we come back, more with Dan Doherty on the Ninja Starship. If anyone thinks they're going to beat me inside that mall and keep me from getting my kids Christmas presents, they can kiss my fat vagina because I'm bringing the motherfucking pain. I'm recording this because this could be the last thing I'll ever say. The city I once knew as home is teetering on the edge of radioactive oblivion. A 300,000 degree baptism by nuclear fire. I'm not sorry. We had it coming. A surge of white hot atonement will be our wake-up call. Hope for our future is now a stillborn dream. The bombs begin to fall and I'm rushing to meet my love. Please remember me. There is no more. I feel alive 
That was Gunship with Tech Noir on Podcast Detroit. We're back on the Ninja Starship with writer Dan Doherty promoting his new Kickstarter for his award-winning comic, Touching Evil, all about a girl who can kill just by touching. But you'd have nothing to worry about unless you're evil. I'm going to be back in this project. Please do the same and support your local comic scene. Dan, I do want to touch on some of your other work while I got you here. And you mentioned during the break that uh, the 10th anniversary for Beardo Comics is coming up. Yeah. Um, next year will be 10 years of Beardo. And I'm super excited about that because it's, you know, it started off as just a little four panel strip. And now it's, it's going to, it's four books strong and going to be five as of next year. I got a lot of really fun um, book wise stuff planned. And then also some fun merchandise stuff planned for next year, just to kind of celebrate you know, not not just the book, but the fans who've been there with it the whole way. What's Beardo about? Because I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, um, I I can tell you it's real simple. It's just it's very autobiographical. It's a comic strip um, that follows me, and I, I tell people the the simple premise of it is it's about a guy trying to be an artist and an adult at the same time, and all the funny stuff that goes along with that. Right on. Yeah, so this is kind of based off of you. Yeah, it's um, it's it's very much based off of me, um, but I try to keep it as universally humorous as possible, so I don't get too uh, self-referential or or in jokey. I try to make it about shared experiences. Um, so my strips tend to have, you know, they have a good shareable quality uh, online. People tend to take them and go like, "Oh yeah." I, I've, I've been through this or I saw this, um, or this is, this is me, especially when I was doing a lot of stuff involving working at, uh, at Starbucks. Um, a lot of people who worked in retail really related to that and would share the strip. So is this, uh, is this published online, this comic strip or how do people get it? Yeah, it is published, uh, several different, uh, platforms. It's first and foremost, it's at gocomics.com, um, backslash Beardo. Uh, Go Comics is like one of the largest sites for uh, modern and classic comic strips, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been on there for some time now. So it pretty much has most of the strips collected, which is a lot. There's there's thousands of strips at this point. I've, like I said, I've been doing it for a while. So um, you can look through the archives and and just kind of take a look and see different eras of Beardo. Um, you can also go to my Facebook page and like it, which is find Beardo. And or even just look at under my name, Dan Doherty, and you can kind of link to that. But um, I would certainly appreciate the like on Facebook because I do post a lot of Beardo updates there. That's probably the best place to get news about the, the comic. Um, and then it's in a couple newspapers. It's in the Southtown, which is a local to where I'm at. And the uh, it's been in the Daily Illini recently. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing it or not, but it was in there for some time. Well, 10 years, man, that's that's pretty awesome, dude. I mean, congratulations, really. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty proud of it um, for a few reasons, one of which is that it's it's not exactly the, the best time to be making um, comic strips. You know, it's the newspaper world kind of uh, collapsed on itself right around the time or maybe even before when I started doing this because uh, when I first started doing the strip, I was posting it on MySpace if it gives you an idea of, where we were in the in the culture at the time mm-hmm. um and uh i've just been keeping it going by word of mouth and fan love and appreciation and um it's won some awards it's it's actually you know it's got a good pedigree to it despite the fact that um i think a lot of people still don't know about it just because it's it's comic strips and comic strips don't get as much attention i don't think right yeah, I, the newspaper world, man, is definitely taking a dive. I think the biggest spike in newspaper sales was probably on Back to the Future Day. Yeah, yeah. Anytime something terrible or good, really good happens, that's when you'll spike up on newspaper sales. But the day-to-day, you don't get a whole lot of of uh, papers sold. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It's definitely a shrinking market in some sense, but, like, the, the online... Um, like digital comics, I think are growing a lot. So I think that's what's kind of kept it somewhat uh, relevant and and in people's uh, faces. Even though you know the initial the initial place to read it is is kind of almost gone. Do you think that digital comics are eventually going to take over printed comics, or do you think that they're probably going to work hand in hand in the future? 
I like to think they would go hand in hand. I mean, I don't think that it should be one or the other. Um, just because I, I, I do like like actual tangible copies of things, but I like reading stuff online too. And I do think it's a good way to start to broaden your horizons in comics without ever having, without having to actually like break the bank, you know, buying everything and taking a chance um, on every little thing that you hear about, you know, cause I, in my day to day, whether it's at a comic shop or at a convention, I hear about, you know, like a dozen new comics all the time. Like, and there's no way that I can keep up with everything, but you know, if you if you hear enough people say good things about one particular title, and then you're able to like test run the title online first, um, I would totally go out to a store and and buy it if I liked it. After that, you know, like it it definitely keeps that that um, that new experience happening, so I don't just keep buying the same Spider-Man comic over and over again. Right. Kind of give a little preview before you make the commitment and get the hardcover, you know? Yeah. It's the same reason why and I, I should have mentioned this with the touching evil part, but it's the same reason why on the Kickstarter campaign, um, if you look at it, there's issue one as a PDF is, is available on the campaign for free. You can just read it. If you like it, then it makes your, your pledge that much easier to, to put out there. You know, you don't feel like you're taking a total gamble. Right, right. Not a complete risk. You're going to try it, like it, and then get more. Yeah, I mean, because we're all, you know, usually I think most people have have somewhat of a budget when it comes to comics and entertainment and stuff. So I I like to earn people's dollar rather than just have them go, you know, like just trust me, it'll 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 be fine. You know, like I want them to actually feel like they they vetted the material first before they they went into it. Well, they're definitely not wasting their money because when I first met you at Fantastic Con in Mount Clemens, uh, what first caught my eye at your booth was Bob Howard, Plumber of the Unknown. Yeah. Dude, that cover just stood out to me, and I'm like, I have to have this just because. And I didn't know anything about the story, I and mean, we briefly talked about it for a second, but I came home, I read it, and I absolutely fell in love with the story. Uh, let me see if I can kind of build up the story for the listeners here and correct me if I'm wrong, but Bob Howard is a hardworking blue collar union guy whose wife and child were basically murdered by pervy tattoo shop guys who turn out to be monsters and armed with a giant pipe wrench named big daddy, which I absolutely love that part. uh, Bob takes vengeance on these monsters that kind of live all over the city. Yeah, he. Um, that, that's pretty close. Um, almost all of that stuff. Actually, all of that stuff is true. Um, I will add that, like he, he isn't a hundred percent sure what is happening with this whole monster thing. He knows that monsters took his family, and he knows that um, he's kind of no matter where he goes or what he does, he's being like I wouldn't say chased, but he's almost like a magnet for trouble when it comes to like the supernatural. Like wherever he goes. There's a monster that's there and he has to fight it. And he doesn't realize 100% why this is um, until I'd say somewhere in the second or third act of the story. I think he started realizing that, like, he's kind of been branded a bit. And and um, so he's no matter where he goes, he's always going to have some action and adventure. He just doesn't want it. He kind of wants to go back to normal. And that's not going to happen anytime soon for Bob. No, I mean, he's, he's very tortured. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's seeing a, a, a psychiatrist. He's taking meds, uh, or, or supposed to be taking meds. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't speak anymore and he's doing all these odd jobs. You know, I love all the jobs that he works. He goes from plumber to bouncer to babysitter, window washer. I mean, he's try. It's like he's trying to get away from what happened to start a new life. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be in the plumbing because that that was almost what was you know home to him. Yeah, he. I think he incorrectly um, associates his plumbing job with the monster. So he thinks like, oh, if I just switch jobs, I'll I'll find uh, the piece that I've been I've been looking for. And he realizes after a few of these odd jobs that no, it's it's not the job, it's it's him. Um, and he has to sort of go back to embracing being a plumber, uh, you know, because he liked doing that anyway. But he's again another reluctant hero um, who very humble just, guy too. Yeah, just does what he has to. He's not he's not out to like you know hunt down crime. He's just kind of putting out fires as they come along. 
I'm really a huge fan of the wrench, dude. Like, I love when a character <laughs> has a main weapon, like Hellboy's gun, the Good Samaritan. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, Lionel's sword, uh, Sword of yeah. Omens, yeah. Uh, Kratos, uh, Chaos Blaze. I mean, did you just figure a wrench would be a plumber's weapon, or was there some kind of influence behind that? Well, yeah. I mean, Raph and I, because, you know, Raph is, and I, started doing this a long time ago and um i know he had some some different en- envisionings of certain weapons that we use for certain occasions but there was one that kept popping up is like this has got to be his his signature piece and it's big daddy and um and it just made sense and it's also just really fun to draw you know it's just <laughs> an easy, easy thing to say like okay you know bob probably could have used a gun in this situation would have right. been Way easier for him, but no, we're going to go to Big Daddy, and he's he's going to beat this thing to death. Um, That's so badass, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really iconic, and it it definitely cements the whole plumber persona, um, especially when he's he's bouncing from job to job. He still has the wrench with him just in case. You yeah. Know? I really love that you made it that you made the hero a plumber. You know, because I'm a blue collar guy myself. But what made you pick a plumber to be the hero? I mean, did you? feel that mario was too much of a pussy or what was you know, what what made you do it well raf gets the credit for that that was um that was definitely a, a raf thing um and uh i think he did want to tap into the, the everyman kind of thing um when when we were coming up with this this uh bigger story there, there was always this small idea of him just being an average joe um and how appealing that was because it just, first of all, it makes him more relatable. But um, second of all, it it definitely makes him stick out like a sore thumb when he's, when he's in the middle of a pile of monsters or, um, you know, some crazy uh, tentacled creature, it makes him that much more awkward. And and we were kind of going for this humorously horrific vibe throughout the whole thing. Oh, you did it perfectly. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I certainly hope that we get to do another book of that because that's, yeah, that's, that's what I was just about to ask. Are we going to see a Bob Howard 2 in the future? I don't know. I'd love to. Um, you know, it's it's been kind of sitting in limbo for a while. Um, it's had some publishing ups and downs, and that's that's the part of the business that I, I'm never a fan of. It only makes me feel better about when I self-publish because I know that it'll come out when I want it to come out. But uh, we definitely had a second story arc planned, um, which was really exciting because he he returns to his plumber roots and um, does some really fun stuff with the idea of being a plumber and and also with the sewer system, which we hadn't even got into yet. Um, So we had some really cool stuff in store. Whether it ever happens or not really depends on the number of people and factors. Right. Well, man, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I love it. I really hope that there's going to be a uh, uh, Bob Howard too. Uh, I'm going to be getting right as soon as we're done recording this. I'm going to go back your Kickstarter. Uh, you know what? So we are coming up on our hour, so go ahead and plug your website where people can pick up your comics. Yeah, uh, my website for all of my comics is uh, www.beardocomics.com. Uh, there's a store in there where you can get uh, my Beardo books, my Touching Evil books. Um, some prints that I've done, and I believe Bob Howard's up there too, as well as another book that I've done uh, called The Apocalypse Plan. Um, so yeah, a bunch of my my creator-owned stuff is is up there. And um, like I said before, if you want to just read Beardo for free, it's at gocomics.com backslash Beardo. If you want to support the Kickstarter, just go to Kickstarter's website and look for Touching Evil. And um, like any of these comics on Facebook if, you, if, you're, if you want to follow the news. A little over two weeks left on the Kickstarter, ladies and gentlemen, so please check it out and support your indie comic scene. That's it for this week, my ninjas. Thank you for listening. Find me on Twitter at NinjaStarPod or email me NinjaStarPod at gmail.com or find me on iTunes. Leave some reviews. Don't forget to check out the website, PodcastDetroit.com or download the Podcast Detroit app to listen live to this show every Sunday from 5 to 6 p.m., Until next week, I'm Jimmy McKnight, Bag and Board. This is a previously recorded episode.